Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually it oval. Just say yeah. it. The blind guy feels it now. Goes, <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Well, Brock Richardson loves being a part of the round table. Hello, Brock. We're all set to go, aren't we, for this week's edition of the round table? Uh, also, something really cool is happening, Brock. We get to bring in a voice. This is almost like voices. When you bring back a familiar voice to the network, the only difference is we're not going to hear him on this program in a different capacity. Mark Phoenix joins us, former editor over here at AMI. Uh, sir, welcome back. Out in Newfoundland, are you hanging on out there? Yeah, I'm holding real tight as the uh, wind picks up, uh, waiting for the second hurricane of my time here to rush past. Fortunately, we're not going to get too, hit too hard where I am, but uh, good times out here. Tell us, um, the last time we had you on the show, we really didn't get into this too much. Um, Newfoundland, what sent you out there? And so many people, it used to always be BC. We'd, we'd have Ontario people say, I'm heading out to BC. I'm done living here. Um, you went east. <laughs> I did go east. Well, the first reason is that my brilliant wife, uh, Deborah is from Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. And we got extremely lucky with a very cute little place that we stumbled upon, um, which, I mean, I open a window, I can hear the ocean. So, you know, that's oh. kind of what sold us on getting out, of, getting out of Toronto. And, you know, we were just kind of done with the endlessly rising rents, the rising temperatures, and it's just getting much more difficult to live there. Um, you know, transit service has not appreciably expanded in the 20 in the past decade and not very much in the past, in the 24 years that I lived in Toronto same complaint um, we have here in London yeah. except it's 200 years it hasn't expanded but anyway yeah. <laughs> fair point <laughs> so you guys knew exactly where you were going to go like when i say that i don't mean you just left and said anyone got space for us to stay i mean for a while you you've kind of known well, if we move out there this is where we would go Yes, we, you know, we had a sense of what we were getting into, um, and we weren't, I mean, you know, we're not gamblers, we're definitely not property flippers, we were only going to get a place if it was an appreciable, you know, improvement upon our situation in Toronto, and beyond all hope, that actually happened, so that's kind of the main reason we decided to pull up stakes and uh, head for the rock. Well, we'll keep posts on what's happening, what things you get into up there. Sure, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll be getting you on here as, as often as we can, since at the moment Hopefully you have a, trouble. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, we need that, and if you have that disposable time, why not bring him on here, right? Guys, I'll start with our first item. Federal cabinet ministers today are expected to launch a long-awaited review today of the Trudeau government's cannabis legislation. It was back in October of 2018 that the Trudeau Liberals lifted a century-long prohibition on the recreational use and sale of cannabis, with the provision that they review the law three years after it came into force. That review is nearly one year overdue now. The legislation dictates that the government must investigate the impact of legalization on public health, youth consumption, and Indigenous communities. The review will also look at the cultivation of cannabis in homes. The Health and the Addictions Minister are due to present their report to Parliament within 18 months. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. I like this. Uh, I would love the review to include the financial benefits to government as well. Um, I'll start with you, Mark. Your thoughts? Well, 
I will be very curious to see what the government produces on this. I will say on the ground, I mean, the country hasn't burned down. It's not a reefer madness nightmare like I'm sure some people were trying to fear monger about. And frankly, I think a lot of people kind of expected things to shake out as they have. There's still um, an extra legal market, obviously. I know that, mm-hmm. you know, it may never get squished out. But a lot of people are happily, as far as I know, purchasing cannabis in licensed facilities without having to do fun things like meet, you know, sketchy individuals in front of grocery stores. That is a nice step up for a lot of people. Um, I will be curious what they find about the health impacts. I know, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people have been caught by surprise by the strength of, say, edibles, for example, you know, not quite knowing how much to take at once and, you know, having a, you know, significantly bad trip. Um, I don't expect, I honestly don't expect ma- any recommendation of major changes to the legislation. Um, probably at best, I'd imagine there might be kind of a push to expand uh, access to legal sources of cannabis. Um, I know the industry's been having a bit of a downturn with producers kind of, you know, falling off left, right, and center. And I mean, having left downtown, you know, having just left Toronto, every fourth store there is now a pot shop. Well, so that's the thing. I'm sure you, it got, it just got up. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like it's it just, yeah. you had too much drowning other businesses out. If this, if you want to, when you talk about it being the, a business, that was one of the things you just kept seeing. So, and I, I know that's going to be the explosion one gets when you legalize something that you haven't legalized for a hundred years. It's an interesting way it spins around. Um, I obviously love the fact. Let's check. Let's see what, especially the health um, is. You know, let's see if this has created any thing that we need to address, need to worry about, and and we're going to move forward with it. We know that, but let's do the things mm-hmm. right. Brock, I'm sorry. Anything you've got for us? Yeah, I'm just going to say, because Mark hit it a little bit in that, you know, there's so many uh, shops that are within, you know, close by. I mean, I can think of four stores that are in walking distance of themselves, like they're they're almost across the street from each other. It's it's turned into, remember, that's I was just going to say, remember when we used to say, oh, there's another Tim Hortons. This is what it's becoming. I, I I respect the government, you know, being held to their, you know, you have to review this for the reasons already illustrated. I do get concerned because of the financial gain the government gets mm-hmm. from it. Uh, that's the part where I'm just like, are we really going to dive into this the way we should when the government has their hand in it? Yeah, but if we don't continue this, then we're not getting financial gain. Again, do I agree with Mark in the sense of, has it really gone, you know, haywire? No, probably not. I think we need to look at it more as making sure that we're getting the legal stuff so that people are consuming, you know, stuff that's not laced with whatever. And I think that's where we need to start. But I do have concerns about whether the government's going to be truthful it works it well. It works well. No finance. problems. Yeah. Right. 100%. Yeah. That, that is my biggest concern. I don't know how it's laid out that way with the government. So I don't want to pretend to be an expert on what the government's hand in, but we went through this with cigarettes. Yeah. Okay. Guys, let's move on to uh, a new study shows researchers are showing and teaching robots the art of laughter. 
Knowing when to laugh, and more importantly, when not to, is difficult enough for humans. Now researchers at Kyoto University in Japan are training artificial intelligent robots about laughter and the timing of a chuckle. Erica the robot, just one of the AI bots learning a sense of humor and how to use it in social settings. Researchers use data from dozens of speed dating conversations with students. Talk about awkward. Scientists say they hope the technology will help AI systems and people evolve. Michelle Franz and ABC News. I wanted to hear the robot laugh. Uh, Brock, a lot of people feel that this <laughs> kind of thing is creepy. Like, I, I, is this kind of like um, teaching robots to laugh? Yeah, I, I can't envision this properly i mean i i've always been told that you know in in moments where maybe there shouldn't be i crack a joke at a at a terrible time and it's like i just want to be mad at you and you got to crack a joke i you know that's that's good but i don't know if we need robots to tell us the appropriate time to laugh and not like it just like how far are we going to go with robots is somebody going to be coming to my house taking care of me in a robot anymore now as opposed to you know a human being you know like how far is this going to go and laughter with a robot i'm not so sure eventually right it's that whole robots showing emotion mark i mean i i've always found it the strangest or scariest movies are when you take a comic and have them play like a serial killer or something. <laughs> um, you know, there are so many movies and novels and graphic novels about <laughs> artificial intelligence. And, you know, we, we have a slew of articles about, oh, machine learning does this. Artificial intelligence does that. Do we even know what do, we, do the people <laughs> who are researching this understand quite what they're doing? When you're teaching a, say you're, they say they're teaching a robot to laugh. Well, they're teaching them. They're trying to get, train a machine to produce this sound at an appropriate time. It's you right. know a bunch of numbers and values compared. But you know it's often presented as oh we're you know we're evolving you know artificial intelligence. Are we? Do we know what that would actually look like and mean? Because uh, you know it's often presented as oh we're you know we're creating helpers and you know new servants. Well that almost sounds like we're creating, you know, new life forms or new intelligences. Yeah. And that's when ethical questions start to creep in, uh, that I know at some of the tech companies, you raise them and they start to look at you a bit funny, but things have to be asked, you know, are these things being oversold to the public and are the people working on them? Do they, do they know what they're, what they're creating? I mean, we did have a recent entire sci-fi series about creating a bunch of robots that rose up and, you know, slaughtered most humans and, how that went so um you know it's it's interesting <laughs> well it's interesting but, when uh, also it becomes the normacy that when, at what point are we not laughing at your ourselves when we're thanking after we've asked a question to our smart speaker mm-hmm. and you know like do you, the question is do we start you know treating you know do we start responding to the various machines and devices in our home mm-hmm. as if they're other you know actual you know living entities do we show respect to them um will they respond based differently based upon how you treat them you know these are all uh, sorts of questions that they got to get answered well and i know people get funny sometimes about people who do that respond you know who are sad and telling their their pet bird that they're having a rough day or complaining to their bird, you know, who, who, who can't understand them or whatever, but they'll swear to you. No, no, he gets it. I'm just, I just need someone to talk to. So it gets really where we, we are first to say, well, what's wrong. Why are they doing that? Uh, yet we're okay. Thanking smart speakers. How far does it go in, in creating robots to laugh? 
And I don't really know because how much does that confuse or does it change or do we change with the time and that just becomes normal that you're going to have for the for for whom it matters the robot that laughs um i laugh kelly uh you you go ahead mark brock hold on to that i'll make this very quick i think starting from a general stance of respect toward anything you interact with is probably a good safe starting point yeah brock i laughed because i'm like Yes, I am the person that responds to my smart speaker. I, I am because we 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 get so accustomed to the fact that like, what are you supposed to say? What was Canadians drilled in my head as a you. child? Right. Of thank you, thank yeah. you for doing this. Thank you, thank you. And it's to the point that it's like, why am I thanking a thing that's not going to respond as of yet? With you're welcome. Like it's just it's it's not going to do that. But in my conscious, I feel better about doing yeah. my. Canadiana and saying thank you, smart speaker. Well, I it makes you that. wonder <laughs> if they haven't built in the thank you because they know that's going a little too far, or they're scared. Well, but then you're just going to say no, no, thank you. Uh, U.S. federal officials have cautiously declared the rollout of the uh, nationwide suicide prevention hotline a success. Now, the three-digit phone number replaced the ten-digit number in July. By mid-August, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services had seen a 45% increase in the overall volume of calls, texts, and chats received at the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The average time to answer any kind of message has been cut from two and a half minutes to 42 seconds. Nice. Uh, that, that, to me, Brock, is the biggest takeaway. But for yourself, what do you feel the, the biggest takeaway is when you hear this, this, national, um, this national service uh, suicide prevention? There are people that need help, and there are people that need help immediately. And so the quicker you can get to someone, the quicker you can respond. And, and you are talking or could be talking about life versus death if if you're waiting two and a half minutes and that person is already to a specific point it could be too too long people need to be able to talk to somebody and need to be able to talk to them as quickly as possible so that's my biggest takeaway in piggyback to what you just said anything that keeps a person from being discouraged 10 digits versus three but they say the u.s department of health and human services also figures that over 150,000 lives have been uh, saved because of the shortened number and reduced response time mark do you think they're on to something there? Well, I would hope they are. Yeah. And I agree with everything Brock just said. Yes, the faster you can respond to someone, the faster you can engage with someone and, you know, talk with them and, you know, find out what's going through their head, find out, you know, why, you know, get a nice sense of why they they feel like they're in crisis. It's a good thing. And I rather hope that the next push will be to ensure that anyone who calls can get access to further, uh, you know, more in-depth, more personal services, uh, therapy, support, that kind of thing uh, down the road. And I know that, you know, means more money, more organization, but it's something very much worth sinking resources into. So fingers crossed that the success is a success and that everyone takes an opportunity to, to build on it. Awesome. Guys, cheetahs have returned to India after 70 years. 
Eight of the big cats from Namibia made the long trek on Saturday to northern India, part of an ambitious and contested plan to reintroduce cheetahs into the country. Prime Minister Modi was on hand to release the cats into a sprawling national park. Cheetahs were once widespread in India but became extinct in 1952 due to hunting and habitat loss. While some conservationists say it could help cheetah populations and India's grasslands, others caution about unintended consequences of introducing a new animal into the area. Mark Remillard, ABC News. Uh, don't know if it comes from listening to too many old radio shows. Did not even know that the loss was so substantial in, in India. Um, I find not knowing seems to be when we have no idea life forms, certain ones have disappeared or on the endangered species list. Uh, this is a huge problem in my mind for how we just merrily dance along, Mark. It really is. Often, you know, we do a pretty trash job at caring for the other life forms that surround us when we're not wiping them out <laughs> entirely. We're often stumbling over ourselves to try to make up for that and somehow continuing to shoot ourselves and our companions on this rock in the foot. Um, that said, I hope they take the time and care to, you know, reintroduce uh, cheetahs, you know, carefully, as I would hope for any effort to reestablish, a, you know, a previously, you know, wiped out species. And I hope sooner rather than later we figure out how to do these things carefully and you know with allowing all the other life forms and the biosphere around them to kind of mold around them because uh, like i said again we do a pretty clunky job at it right now <laughs> so yeah. i i wish them well i'll cross my fingers i hope this works awesome uh brock anything on that yeah we need a life form we need to coexist with the life form that is on this earth because as mark said all too often we take it away from them for the things that we as a society selfishly need. The thing that scares me about the clip you just played is it feels like to me they're saying, oh, we're just going to put these cheetahs back in India. Uh, that's a little uncomfortable. I hope you do it the right way. That's right. Mark, of course, the right way. Having you back on here on the roundtable. We'll talk to you again down the road. Good luck with things out there and hang on through the storms. <laughs> I will keep a tight grip, and thank you for having me on, and I can't wait to talk with you all again. Mark Phoenix, of course, familiar voice, folks on the network. We're going to wrap it up after this.